Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Well, let me just say at the top of the show, I feel great today. I didn't say this yesterday because I'm a trained professional and you don't really care, but uh, I was going to the doctor yesterday afternoon. Something I don't do too much, hopefully. I'm, hopefully I'm healthy and safe. I uh, don't have to go to the doctor too much, but a uh, yearly physical yesterday. I had to fast, so I had no breakfast, no no coffee. <laughs> The whole thing was just kind of a disaster. I, mean, I had some black coffee, but no cream and sugar the way that I kind of want it to be. So today I am fully fueled and ready to go and really excited about the show. And really the thing that I'm really excited about as we head towards G-Day is what the Georgia offense is going to look like. Not because I think that G-Day is some incredible snapshot of what the season's going to be like, but it's just as close as we get, right? I mean, it's, a, it's at least a little bit of a glimpse about what has gone on during Georgia practice. And it's just kind of fun and entertaining. Most people kind of take it that way. And... You know, there's obviously, I think, you know, legitimate hope that the Georgia offense is the best that it's been in the Kirby Smart era on the field in 2021. And you'd like to see a little bit of a display of that from what you see on Saturday for G-Day. With that in mind, a couple Georgia players had a chance to speak to reporters yesterday, and some of what they said I thought was really interesting. First of all, I think that Warren Erickson's a really good spokesman for Georgia. I I, I don't know, you know, what uh, the future holds for the Georgia offensive line. I have said before that I think that Erickson's probably a slight favorite to be your starter there at center over someone like Senator Von Prahn. I think Von Prahn is eventually going to be hard to keep off the field somewhere just because I think he's that good of a prospect. But for now, it seems like Erickson may have the inside track on being that center and Erickson kind of presents himself as a center right he's you know kind of got that leadership vibe the way that Georgia centers of the past have kind of had maybe Erickson cut from a slightly different cloth than some of those guys but nonetheless it's kind of a leadership position you're kind of a spokesman for the team as that center and uh, Erickson kind of comes across that way and one of the questions that uh, Erickson was asked of hey you know you're working with this offense you're potentially you know kind of at the center of the offense literally literally and figuratively uh, figuratively as the uh, center for this team potentially you know what do you see from this uh, obviously Kirby Smart we made a big deal about this going back to was it Monday show about hey we want to be a vertical passing attack those explosive plays that fans say they want we want to be able to provide those here this season that's something that Kirby Smart has said and so with that in mind what is the recipe for how you get there well Georgia offensive lineman Warren Erickson weighed in on that yesterday. I think this is pretty interesting. Take a listen to this. What I've seen so far is I've seen just a, a group just progressing every single day, just getting better and better and better and better. That's what spring's all about, really. Um, you know, uh, like you said, we want to we want to be explosive in the passing game. We want to be explosive in the run game. So I think just it, intertwining those things two together and, and trying to be the best offense that we possibly can uh, in those two aspects. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that if we can, you know, get those two things and get them rolling and just keep progressing every single day, we should, we should be pretty, pretty good to roll. I think it's really interesting. And obviously we hope that, you know, version of Georgia good to roll as Warren Erickson says there, hopefully we see some version of that on display on Saturday for G day. But I think it's really interesting, you know, in my role as, you know, host of uh, dog nation daily presented by Harris Cherokee casino resort, I get a chance to talk to a lot of Georgia fans. And it's always interesting to me, the issues in which you can kind of, I don't want to say drive a wedge because honestly it's not that serious of a topic, but where there's a dividing line amongst fans. And there is definitely a faction of kind of like old school Georgia fans on one side and new school Georgia fans on the other that on certain issues, you kind of hear a little bit of difference of opinion. You know, when someone like me hears Kirby Smart say, hey, we want to be a vertical passing attack. And I come on the show and celebrate that as a good thing. There are some Georgia fans who are going to say back in response to that, well, come on, B.A., I don't want this to start looking like one of those, you know, Big 12 type teams. Or for those of us who grew up in the 80s, back when the whack was a thing, you know, you had these, you know, you know, these high scoring games back then with no defense. That's not what I want Georgia to look like. They don't want Georgia to look like Oklahoma, a team that scores plenty of points, but defensively in the games that matter most can't seem to come up with stops when they really need to. And I, I, I totally, you know, understand all of that. I think that's why Warren Erickson says there is so important to hear that when we say those of us who want this for Georgia and when Georgia itself says this, Erickson uh, speaking on behalf of the team right there, when the statement is made, we want to be a vertical passing team, it's important to note that that 
what, what, what Warren Erickson's saying there and what Kirby Smart said when he first said this, you know, last Saturday is it's not that we want to take something off of the table so that there's more passing plays to go around. It's that we want to add this into the mix of what George's already been trying to do. This is an additive issue, not so much a replacement issue. We're not replacing, or if, if, if George was saying itself, we would say it this way, we're not replacing what we have done. We're trying to add to what we've done in the past. And Warren Erickson says right there, the explosive passing play plus the dominant running game. And you don't have to look very far to see evidence of that. Alabama a year ago, obviously, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith were setting records. It's probably the most explosive passing offense I've ever seen, certainly in the SEC. But Najee Harris still had a huge season. I've said this before, LSU in 2019. If Alabama wasn't the best passing attack I've ever seen in the SEC, then LSU the previous year probably was. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire still had 1,400 yards rushing. They didn't give up the running game to be better at the pass. They added a big-time passing attack to what was already kind of a championship-level running game, and that's exactly what George is trying to do as well. In fact, if you don't believe me on this, you don't take my word on this, take the word of Kendall Milton, who, by the way, is just a smooth guy. You know, I kind of uh, became very interested in Kendall back when he was like a junior in high school because some of the interviews that he gave, including to our Jeff Sintel, he was just, you know, very very clear in his manner of speaking and and just a really good spokesman for Georgia. Kind of interesting that yesterday was the first time we've had a chance to speak and hear from him since he's been on this Georgia roster because he really speaks well on behalf of UGA. And for Georgia fans who kind of wonder, well, if Georgia is becoming more of a vertical passing team, what does that mean for the running game? Milton did not mince words with his opinion on that. This is Kendall. This is Georgia's RBU, so... I feel like the run game is always going to play a part in the offense, but we're an offense that has uh, a lot of weapons all over the field. And with all those weapons, everybody wants to get the ball. So you got to make the scheme to where it fits everybody. It basically benefits everybody. So, you know, I, I expect we, we're going to run the ball, but I also expect we're going to pass the ball because of our, our weapons and everything we have on the team. Yeah. I think that Kendall's exactly right about that. Going to look to get big plays through the run and through the pass. And, to me, the issue of, well, how much does Georgia throw it compared to how much Georgia runs it, both on G-Day on Saturday and the upcoming season, I actually think that's the wrong way to look at it. You're not going to measure Georgia's success as a passing team or a running team on the basis of how many times they do it. To me, it's more of an issue of when they do it. For Kirby Smart to say, we want to be a vertical passing team. Now, I can't presume to know exactly what he means by that. But here's, as a fan and someone who watches college football closely, here's what I hope that Kirby Smart means on that. I hope he means that Georgia's going to look to throw the ball early in the game and on early downs. That's what vertical passing teams do. They throw early in a game to establish a lead. They throw on early downs as a way of staying ahead of the chains. That's what teams who want to be vertical passing, that's what teams who want to be explosive in the passing game, that's the way that you do that. And then once you have the lead in the fourth quarter, go back and look at Alabama a year ago, pounding teams with the run for almost the entirety of the fourth quarter because at that point in time they're sitting on a lead and they're just you know kind of coasting to victory and they did that so much a year ago. It's not about the total number of passing plays compared to the total number of running plays. It's about when those passing plays are called. Are you calling them early in the game? Are you calling them on early downs, first and second down? As David Pollock said in our show a few weeks ago, second seven for Georgia needs to be a passing down if you truly want to be a vertical passing attack. And that's one of the ways in which you're going to measure that. We'll get a chance to see some of that with G-Day there on Saturday. Because let me kind of bring all this to kind of, uh, I guess, ahead you know, with, with this conversation. I think there's sort of a misunderstanding related to some of this with the Georgia offense. I think that some people would say, well, Georgia's been really good with its rushing attack. Now it needs to be good with its passing attack there as well. But the honest truth is that the passing attack for Georgia has been deficient enough for certainly most of 2019, part of 2020. It's been deficient enough that the rushing attack for Georgia has actually suffered because of that. Let me show you this on the screen here for a moment. ESPN recently put out their top 20, uh, their their basically their preseason FPI for the upcoming season. Now, we'll mock this in great detail later on the show, but the thing that matters right now is, you know, usual suspects up the top, Alabama at one, Oklahoma at two, not a huge surprise there, Clemson at three, Ohio State even in the top five, not a huge surprise, Georgia a little lower than some fans might like. Georgia comes in at seventh on this list. That's the preseason FPI analytics-based stuff for ESPN for the upcoming season. Here's the thing you got to understand is that, you know, these analytics numbers, and like I said, you can mock, and we'll get into more detail about some of the silliness that's in this top ten on the show before we're done today, but 
when it comes to Georgia projected far lower than many of the other teams, including the team that will play week one in Clemson, you know, what the ESPN folks going to have to go to on that is, and we, that's good enough on that, um, what the ESPN uh, folks have, a, all they have to go on on something like that is what they've seen from Georgia over the course of the last couple of years in the field. We all know the Georgia passing attack hasn't been what it's supposed to be. But look what's happened to the Georgia running game in the last couple of years there as well. After leading the SEC in rushing yards in 2017-2018, Georgia's just been fifth in the SEC in rushing yards the last two years in 2019 and 2020. As I said before, when you don't have that threat of the vertical passing attack, when you're not able to you know, confidently throw the ball early in the game, when you're not able to confidently throw the ball on early downs, Teams start creeping up towards the line of scrimmage, and they start taking your running game there away as well. So when Warren Erickson says, we want to be able to do both, we want to throw the ball and run the ball. When Kendall Milton says, we want to be able to do both, we want to throw the ball and run the ball. It's almost like in 2021, you have to be able to do both. Otherwise, you can't really do either. So that's the situation that faces Georgia as it as it moves through the upcoming season, not choosing between do we want to be a running team, do we want to be a passing team, but establishing the necessary pass game to make the run game even possible. That's the recipe for a championship potentially for Georgia on the field here in the fall of 2021, and hopefully we'll get a chance to see a glimpse of that on G-Day coming up this Saturday. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by our friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Hello to you, and thanks for being with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and as a podcast, all the podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, we post the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. Many of you listen right there through SoundCloud. Just a big thanks to you for all the ways in which you make this show possible. By the way, I think we have an inside track on a new technological venture that we're going to be going on in the uh, days ahead. So I'll be telling you about that coming up here pretty soon there as well. So a lot of fun stuff happening here around Dog Nation. Listen, it's our great sponsors who make all of this so possible, including my friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Let me tell you something. It's been warm the last couple of days here in the Atlanta area where I live. It gets me thinking about pool weather and also gets me thinking about travels, weekend getaways, things like that. I love short drives from Atlanta because it's just more time to spend doing the fun things you want to do. That's what Harris Cherokee Casino Resort provides for you. The book now open sports gaming there in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Luxurious spa, world-class shopping, uh, gourmet dining, uh, incredible entertainment options, socially distanced gaming floor for the folks who enjoy doing that kind of thing and who doesn't let's face it it's all great stuff at harris cherokee casino resort a great chance for you to get away right now and go enjoy that sports gaming everything else website to go to to find out more information it's caesars.com slash harris dash cherokee that's caesars.com slash harris dash cherokee that'll get you in touch find out about all the big things happening this spring heading towards the summer at the beautiful properties of harris cherokee casino resort or harris cherokee valley river check them out today all right it's mike griffith here coming up in just a moment We'll do more of a G-Day preview with Mike. I'll ask Mike the same question. I think I've asked every guest this week, and I guess I'll probably do this. We'll make this kind of a clean sweep throughout the rest of the week. Who are you looking forward to seeing on G-Day? What do you want to see? What are you curious about? We'll kind of start the conversation with Mike on that and just sort of see where it goes after that. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse here for a moment. And I do want to kind of just take a moment to pause a little bit more on some of the stuff that Kendall Milton had to say yesterday. I think that Milton's just kind of a – as I said before, a smooth-talking guy, you know, thoughtful, introspective, and really an exciting player on this George roster. There's so many young guys who are, you know, looking for a bigger opportunity this upcoming season. One of the things that makes G-Day interesting on Saturday, it's one of the things that makes the upcoming season, I think, really fun there as well. And there's no doubt that Kendall's a huge fan favorite uh, on, on this team. A lot of fans looking to see more of him. Milton himself, I'm sure would like to provide more on the field there this upcoming year. But if you think that Kendall is somehow, you know, impatient about all of this or maybe um, bitter might be a word that you could use for the fact that, as it seems right now, there are a couple of upperclassmen still ahead of him on this Georgia depth chart with Zamir White and James Cook making the decision to come back. Boy, you don't get any of that from Kendall Milton really putting a team-first attitude on display when he spoke to reporters yesterday about what his first season was like at Georgia – and maybe not playing as much as someone of his recruiting caliber would have maybe thought he'd be playing during a freshman season. Great stuff from Kendall Milton. Take a listen to this. Uh, you know, last year going through the season, you know, it was actually great for me. Uh, uh, I was able to learn a lot from James Cook and uh, Zamir White, just uh, sitting back and just, you know, just being a soap, just absorbing every day, just learning new things, learning 
learning, you know, because going from high school to the SEC, that's a, that's a very big jump. So just sitting back, learning ways to be successful in my game on the field, uh, that was a huge blessing for me uh, as a freshman. Let me be overly simplistic for a moment, but I think that in this particular case, there's, you know, certainly some wisdom in this simplicity. To be a great college football team, you have to have depth. We would all agree with that. But the next thing to understand, though, is to have depth, you also have to have players who are willing to buy into a team concept. If you're only satisfied with being the man at whatever position we're talking about, then you're not going to ever be able to contribute to depth because there's always going to be someone rivaling you to be viewed as the man, taking touches, snaps, whatever, how you want to measure you know, you know, know, your, your contribution to the team. There's always going to be someone who's taking some of that from you if you're on a deep roster that strives towards being great. So when Kendall Milton right there says, hey, this is the SEC, big step up from high school football, I had a lot to learn from guys like Zamir White and James Cook. That's the kind of statement that Georgia fans ought to celebrate. It's the kind of thing that Georgia fans ought to take a page from from Milton because there's all this impatience that creeps in from time to time with fans of why isn't so-and-so playing more and, you know, what's going on here and what, what what's happening there. And it, it kind of becomes this, you know, kind of wished, you know, imagined into existence controversy from time to time. But Kendall Milton right there says exactly what you want someone to say, a player who says, listen, I'm a part of a deep stable of running backs, as Milton said a little earlier. RBU. That's what Georgia's known to be. You can't be RBU if you don't have a whole bunch of running backs at any given time in a place like Georgia. Georgia has a lot of that right now. So, you know, listen, you know, fans can be free to kind of cheer with, for what they want and, and, and do what they want. But if you really want to kind of put your energy as a fan and what you root for towards something that I believe really helps this team, celebrate the guys like that who say, Listen, I'm more than happy to be patient. And there was another moment in the uh, press conference from Milton yesterday. We said, it's all on God's time. It's all on God's plan in terms of when it happens for me. And I'm just ready to let that kind of play out on the timeline that, you know, powers larger than me have kind of put together here. I think it's great stuff from Kendall. And by the way, you should go to the Dog Nation YouTube page. You should watch the entire thing for yourself. It was all really, really good. Before I bring on Mike Griffith, let me also remind you of this as we wrap up around the doghouse here today, that in many ways, G-Day is the end of something, the end of spring practice for Georgia, but it's also the start of something really important there as well. It's the uh, it's the give, the Georgia Giving Week from the UGA Alumni Association actually kicks off with G-Day on Saturday, here on Saturday, April the 17th. You've heard Kirby Smart saying this on social media, really challenging all dogs to get involved you know, big time participation from those who are, you know, uh, you know, graduates of the University of Georgia, folks who care about the impact that UJ is making in the world around us. Beginning April 17th through April 23rd, it's the week of giving to really help fund the gr- the next great generation of UJ, you know, students that go through the program, uh, but also the the work that Georgia is doing around the world, your chance to kind of get involved on in all that. So many of the folks who listen to us right now, you know, consider themselves stakeholders in the University of Georgia who care about what's happening there, you know, in, in the shadow of the arch there in Athens. So this is your chance to get involved from April 17th to the 23rd for the week of giving here. There's also some great incentives to do this there as well. All alumni who donate during the week of giving are going to get a 20% discount from the UGA Bookstore, and that's a really cool thing given all the great, great stuff at the UGA Bookstore. And, of course, we're looking forward to being there on Saturday. That's a coupon that's valid from April 15th through the uh, 30th. And every donor that gets involved here for the week of giving gets an exclusive set of vintage UGA embroidered patches. It doesn't that sound like a lot of fun there as well? So here's the website to go to. You see it on your screen. Calling all dogs. That's D A W G S. Calling all dogs. One more time. Calling all dogs. The week of giving for the UGA Alumni Association begins Saturday. It goes for the next week after that through April 23rd. Get involved right now. Make your plans to get involved here today. All right. Uh, good to have you with us here today. Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Uh, I thought that N'Kobe Dean said something interesting yesterday in terms of kind of what he's looking for from G-Day on Saturday, and we'll uh, touch on that before we're done with the program here today. But for now, look back on everything that's happened thus far this spring. Look ahead to what we might be able to see on Saturday. A guy who's had his finger on the pulse of all of it, Mike Griffith, here as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Great to have all of you with us as well. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And as we say hello to Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Mike, I want to start with you. Kind of where I've kind of gone with our previous guests already this week, just kind of open-ended. We'll kind of work from there. 
It's G-Day on Saturday. There's been a lot of buzz about this and that and everything that's going on. And I'm kind of curious as to what you're curious about in terms of what you want to see, what you expect to see, what you're interested in seeing. You know, whether it's a couple of names or a couple of issues, what's what matters to you on Saturday for G-Day? Oh, I, you know, I guess I want to see Carson back and Brock Vandegrift. You know, I want to see those guys throw the ball. You know, Carson's had a year in the offense. and I heard so much about him this spring. Um, you know, everyone's basically said how fluid he is and how good he looks back there. And, and, and people have told me great things about Brock. And, you know, Brock's brand new to this. So that's impressive that, you know, Brock has looked good already. But, you know, big, strong arm, I guess his athleticism has translated. You know, that's a question I asked was, you know, how does a 1A – private guy translate to the collegiate level and you know everything i'm hearing is that is that brock looks really good like like he, he fits the part he doesn't look out of place he's every bit the five star he was rated to be and i've heard his arm strength amazing um so i'm eager to see that uh obviously i want to see more running backs i want to see more dejon edwards i'm curious to see how dejon's doing uh don't know how much we're going to see a milton milton's had two really really strong scrimmages i just don't know how much it you know, I don't think you want to risk a guy like that. Um, you know, same thing, you know, Zamir's been around long enough to know what he can do. Uh, same with James Cook. I wonder who's going to carry the ball, right? Because this isn't really Kirby's seen what he needs to see. And this is an exhibition, so I think we'll see a lot of throwing uh, from the backup quarterback, some of the young receivers, right? Justin Robinson, we'll see what kind of shape he's in. I know he's been a little dinged up lately. Uh, Demetrius Robertson has had a great spring from all accounts. I think D-Rob will probably be on display um so you know guys like that brock bowers a guy we've heard just a lot about from everybody you know kirby talks a lot about him too i'm kind of eager to see this uh young george kittle clone is, is he's being compared and then defensively you know you look at some of the younger defensive backs like keely ringo who we know is still playing himself into shape uh jalen kimber who by most accounts is you know cb1 as of now uh, obviously there's a long off season ahead amir speed a guy that's been around waiting for his opportunity. How's Amir going to look? And, and and Channing Tindell and Quay Walker, you know, some of those young linebackers. Uh, Ryan Trouble Davis, right? That's the guy that Kirby's called out recently. So a lot of names. Christopher Smith, the guy that took the charge of Charles Atlas bodybuilding program this offseason, coming back to beat up the bullies on the beach. Uh, I want to see it for myself. I'm, I'm excited about that. I think Christopher Smith has a chance uh, to be a breakout player. So I want to obviously get into a lot of what you just said there. Let me do quarterbacks here first. You know, let me talk about Carson Beck for a moment because this is what I said to Connor yesterday. For whatever reason, and I try to keep my ear to the ground as much as I can, it just seems like it was really quiet about Carson for most of last year. Maybe you were hearing things, but I wasn't really hearing much of anything at all. And that's not to say it was a bad thing or a good thing or anything like that. I just didn't really know where things stood with Carson Beck during his first year on campus. I just wasn't hearing very much. And – it is kind of interesting. I know you wrote about him the other day, and there's been some other online chatter kind of related to this. It seems like for all you know, intents and purposes, you know, Beck's had a pretty good spring. So I've kind of joined in in what you've said here before that right now Carson's one of the players I'm sort of most interested in on Saturday just because I'm curious to see if what I'm able to see with my own eyes does kind of back up with what some other people have said. It's just amazing how the chatter around Beck, to my mind, in my ears, has seemingly increased compared to where it was for a lot of his first year on campus. Well, I think, you know, at this time last year, we were talking about Jamie Newman and Dwan Mathis. And, yeah. You know, they, they kind of look like 1A and 1B at this stage. I mean, it, it, you know, those guys both are big, strong-armed guys. And, and Dwan had a great offseason. Uh, it didn't show up in the game. But, you know, just talking to people inside the huddle, hey, Dwan Mathis won that starting job last year. It wasn't given to him. Um, you know, things obviously went awry against Arkansas. Instead, came in and, and calmed everything down and was able to manage the offense pretty well for a few games there. Uh, and, and I don't count Stetson Bennett out. I and mean, this is a guy that the head coach has a lot of trust in. And, uh, you know, it's a guy that beat, you know, came from behind at halftime to beat Tennessee, uh, came from behind at halftime to beat Arkansas, uh, you know, beat Auburn handily. So, you know, Stetson's a guy that's accomplished. Not like he's just going to go away, I don't think. You know, I just – I think the reason maybe we're intrigued with, with Carson and, and maybe, you know, the Brock as well, certainly all keep up with uh, Centel reporting on Gunnar Stockton at this stage is, you know, there was just so much of this Kirby's got to win now or never kind of talk because, you know, JT will probably go pro after this year if he has a big year. And and these guys represent the future, right? I mean, these, these are, this is next man up, whether it's Carson or Brock. I mean, you got to think one of those guys is probably in line to be the guy in 2022. 
And so I think that's why we're intrigued because, you know, we, you know, you want to know that security that, yeah, I think everybody's all in on this year. And I think everybody recognizes it's a big opportunity uh, to win a championship this year. Um, you know, but, you know, 2022, the way Kirby's recruited, the youth on the offensive line, the fact that Kendall Milton will be back for probably what amount to a Heisman run in 2022. Um, you know, defense, you know, a lot of talent there, a lot of young talent being recruited. Rebuilt secondary will be in year two or reloaded, I should say. So I, I think maybe we're intrigued, B.A., because, yeah, we know they're going to contend for a championship this year, but we're probably all kind of looking ahead a little bit saying, oh, could this guy be a championship quarterback, too? Well, I said this yesterday, you know, Mike, this is Kirby's sixth year, but it's probably the first time that he's had what I think you and I would probably describe as a traditional quarterback situation where you have veteran starter with young guy waiting the wings who could be next year's starter. You know, in 2016, Eason emerged as the starter. The The backup would have been an older guy who was on his way out of the program. In 2017, you know, Eason from that wasn't a super traditional situation because both those guys were pretty young. 2018, we've obviously been down that road a million times. That's not necessarily a traditional situation either. 2019, I think Stetson Bennett has turned out to be better than maybe Georgia thought he was in 2019. But, you know, they weren't really treating that the way that we kind of typically see this stuff treated and then obviously 2020 was a little bit of a crapshoot all the way around. This is kind of the first time that Kirby Smart has a chance to sort of establish what looks to be a, like a clear plan of succession or succession, or succession. Yes, yeah, succession is the word I'm looking for. Uh, with you know veteran JT Daniels, with you want to select Vandegrift, you want to select back. I, I'm, I'm like you. I think that Bennett, because he started before, has great value to Georgia. But in terms of a 2022 projection, you know one of those guys who emerges in, in a competition like that, you know kind of puts himself in a position that a lot of Georgia quarterbacks have not had. Young guy with talent waiting in the wings, learning, and then potentially a little bit of a passing of the baton, you know, maybe for the next season with apologies to Gunnar Stock, who's going to come in here and compete too. This just has a chance to be a little bit different than Kirby Smart's quarterback situation has looked since he got here in 2016. It, it all sounds too perfect. So you know, B.A., that somebody's going to take a wrecking ball to this. You, you know somebody's going to want to transfer out and start right away. I mean, this is just, I'll tell you, the, the transfer rules uh, have just changed it where we just, we really can't get comfortable with the notion. As much as we'd like to think what a wonderful succession of quarterback there's going to be, you and I both know how this thing works, right? And, you know, Ohio State felt pretty good about Joe Burrow taking over for Dwayne Haskins. You know, Jordan felt good about, you know, Justin Fields coming in behind Jake Fromm at some point, right? And, it, you know, it just mm -hmm. things change. Right? Yeah. We had a run. It's just remarkable to think about this. There were three straight Heisman Trophy winners that were transfer quarterbacks. It's not like this is a fluke or unique. I mean, it, it, and it works, right? So, um, yes, the competition is great, and the depth is great, and I think with Gunnar Stockton kind of in the fold, maybe the unspoken word that maybe we're not supposed to speak, but let's go ahead and say it. You know, is, is there a competition between Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift to be next man up? Is that what we're going to see? at G-Day. It's great to think that they could both stick around, but is that realistic? I don't know. I know that they're both great quarterbacks. I know Georgia's a great place to be. Uh, I think right now, you could make the argument that as we look at uh, different uh, uh, different draft projections and questions, that maybe there's a value to playing a quarterback in an offense where you're asked to read the entire field instead of half the field, where questions are being begged. Uh, you know, so as Kirby said, you know, somebody, I forget who it was, uh, asked him the question about quarterback management, and he kind of chuckled and said, well, I know they like coming here. So, so all these people that, that want to be critical of Kirby Smart, i.e. people that he beats every year, right, or, or Alabama, who's trailed at halftime of all three games he's played them, uh, they want to take their pot shots, but at the end of the day, look who's in Georgia's quarterback room, and, and look who's at other places. So uh, Georgia's doing a lot right. Uh, Georgia fans should feel confident in their head coach, certainly in their offensive coordinator. And um, I think the future is really bright. So let me just say this. I don't want to talk about quarterbacks the whole time, but I do want to say one thing about Brock Vandegrift because I think it's really hard when you first step on campus to be really good right away. You're just absorbing so much, including just what you know, campus life is kind of like at Georgia. But I do think because of the skill set that Vandegrift possesses that as he gets comfortable at certain point, whether it's a month from now or six months from now, whenever else, there's going to be this exponential growth, I would believe, in him just because at a certain point the skill set will be matched by the 
comfort in what you know Todd Munkin kind of wants him to do. Now, will we see that on Saturday? Maybe it's a little too soon from that. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. But here's all I want to really see from Brock on Saturday. You know, I just want to see that ball zip, right? I want to see that big throw. You know, you know, the the, the ball just looks different leaving the the hand uh, of a guy like Vandergriff. And that's just kind of one of those things you just kind of want to see. Is that is that you know, as the kids like to say, just see him spin it. You know, for now, that's all I really need to see. And then as he gets more comfortable and things along those lines, uh, you know, you get a chance to to see more from him after that, maybe. And I, and I think you'll see that. I, I don't think there's any question. I, I think Brock will show you that arm. I think you'll see the mobility. I think you'll see the athleticism. And, and again, you know, uh, another great thing about that room is, uh, you know, it, it's a really good room, right? There, there's nobody fighting and, and, and biting in the back to try to get this or that. I mean, there's there's a real camaraderie there. And, and I think a lot of credit goes to JT Daniels for that. And this is and this is why, even though you could decry or question, or, you know, well, JD, JT didn't start for the last four games. Maybe he should have started. The good news is, is that while JT was biding his time, while JT was doing those voluntary reps on the scout team, he was being a good teammate. He was supporting Stetson Bennett. He wasn't making any noise. He wasn't acting like, you know, spoiled on the sideline. We've seen quarterbacks do that when they don't play. They pout. They separate themselves from the team. No, JT was being a leader before he was a leader. And because of the way he conducted himself before he was named the starter, I think that that's really benefited the quarterback room and the health of it. I think it makes it easy for Stetson Bennett now, to continue, which Stetson was always a great teammate. That's one thing that he's universally known as, is, is a great young man and a great teammate. But it makes it easier now for Stet to be there for JT or for Carson to be there for JT because JT set an example because he was the backup. I mean, think about that. Here's a guy that was the National Player of the Year as a freshman, according to Max Preps. He was the National Player of the Year as a sophomore, according to Max Preps. He was the Gatorade National Player of the Year as a junior over Trevor Lawrence and over Justin Fields as a junior in high school, beat Trevor in the U.S. Army All-American team. Why didn't we hear about it? Because he was committed to USC and recruiting is regional. And then goes to USC in what should have been his senior year of high school. And, and he comes to Georgia, and he's a scout team guy with, with a, you know, a, a, a knee that's recovering, and he humbly goes and plays on the scout team. And he just quietly goes down there and cheers for his teammates during the game. I mean, this guy almost seems too good to be true in many respects. I'm not saying he's perfect. He did throw two interceptions last year. Um, but, you know, the leadership that he's shown – I think really leads to the leash that Kirby Smart's given him. B, I think you were the first one to point out, uh, you know, hey, look at this. Kirby Smart's yeah. name this guy starter. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I guess it does if you show maturity and show great leadership. And I think that's what's happening. And I think that that, I think that, that resonates throughout the quarterback room. And so I think that's part of the reason why. And, and I give Todd Monken credit, too. He's got these guys engaged. And, JT said in a recent interview, as much as he knew or thought he knew, uh, this is a scholarly kid, that Munkins helped him see the game in a whole different way, and that's why he's here instead of anywhere else. He could have gone anywhere out of Southern Cal. He came here because of Munkin and his offense and, and Kirby Smart and his championship vision. I want to talk to you about a couple more things related to uh, this Saturday for G-Day, Mike, coming up. Let me remind people real quick, though. Pella Window and Door of Georgia can help equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. I love telling their story because uh, for homeowners, there are a couple things that really matter. How good your home feels on the inside, keeping the A.C. inside this time of year, not letting it creep out. Uh, plus, how good your home looks on the outside. All of that really matters. And Pella Window of Door of Georgia can help do all that for you. Of course, nationally known company that means unparalleled resources. Locally, family-owned branch right here in Georgia, which means... Uh, incomparable service that's what Pella has also great savings as well currently 10% off your entire project or 0% APR for 24 months easy to get in touch with if you're watching a video as you see on your screen call them 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 or PellaofGA.com slash dog nations the website once again Pella of GA.com slash dog nation so Mike we had a chance to hear from Georgia running back Kendall Milton yesterday and it just kind of reminded me so much of he was like a junior in high school. He did an interview with Jeff Sintel, and there were a bunch of good running backs in that class of 2020, and a lot of those guys I still really like. I think Tank Bigsby's a really good running back, and obviously Zach Evans I think you know still has a lot of promise, even though that maybe that first year wasn't quite what some folks originally thought it would be. But Milton was always the guy I just sort of was the most impressed with. 
And it was because of how he carries himself, how he speaks, just a really smooth talker and, you know, pretty thoughtful guy all the way around. And he really put that on display yesterday. It's not difficult to understand why Kendall's a fan favorite and why there's just a lot of excitement about what he might be able to do for Georgia, uh, you know, here this season. Maybe some of that on Saturday for G-Day. We'll see about that. But it's easy to understand why so many folks like Kendall when you hear him saying really all the right things in a press conference yesterday. Well, and it's interesting you brought up Pella because here's a guy that's, uh, you know, walked through the front door and now has a window of opportunity. There you go, Mike. So her perfect setup with well the Pella sponsorship, and we certainly appreciate them as much as Georgia appreciates Kendall Milton. Uh, and you're right. And, and I had a chance to, to exchange with Chris Milton, his dad, last night and talk about it a little bit. And, and uh, you know, Kendall is a guy that I think is on the verge of greatness. I, I haven't made any secret of it. I, I don't think you got to be a football expert to say that. You know, before I came on, I was I, I just mesmerized. I got a story up right now about Kendall talking last night, and I've, in it, I've got that video, that run that he had against Tennessee, and literally, he breaks seven tackles. I mean, he breaks seven tackles. It takes eight guys before Kendall Milton goes down. I mean, dare I say, Herschel Walker esque. It, it was it was like this is ridiculous, and 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 he's just like he's he's a babe learning to crawl. He's not even there yet. I mean, the guy is gonna get better, and he's explosive. Uh, the leg drive of all the great backs I've covered, and there's been a lot. This guy's got more leg drive than anybody I've seen, and I'm including Sean Alexander, Jamal Lewis, Alvin Kamara, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, these are guys I've covered up close and personal, and and Kendall has better leg drive than any of them uh you know the vision's coming the timing's coming i think he has those things but he, he doesn't even i mean the guy hasn't scored a touchdown for georgia yet if you can believe that so i do think he's going to be um based on you know kirby went out of his way and, and i listened closely to kirby because kirby's very foreshadowing um he really liked what he did in short yardage situations and if we're being honest that's been a problem but the last few years you know just Amir white but as you pointed out, Swift had a problem with it at the start of the year a couple of years ago. I, I kind of brought that stat out, and DeAndre took it personal and started knocking some people over in short yards. You tell guys like DeAndre Swift they can't do something, and they're pretty eager to prove you wrong, right? Yeah. And he did. I mean, he really turned it on. But but I think Kendall is going to have a role next year. I, I think you're going to see him as a short yardage guy. Um, I think you'll see him hit some home runs as well. Uh, it, it is a battery of backs, and if you look at the schedule – I think it's pretty clear that the most important thing is to have Kendall Milton available in November, December, because I think he's a guy that puts you over the top. I really do. I think he's special. And that's not to say that there's not a lot of good backs because there are, I mean, my goodness, James Cook is, you know, one of the more explosive guys uh, in, in the SEC. Uh, we've talked about Kenny McIntosh and his broken tackle rate. Certainly Zamir White is a veteran that's trusted and loved by the coaching staff and, and Dejon Edwards has turned some heads, by the way. So you, you've got a battery of backs. But if you were asking me to, to invest in one guy and say who's going to be the most likely guy to be an NFL rushing champion, it would be Kendall Milton at this stage. Well, there you go. Uh, Mike, certainly appreciate you being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort today. We will look forward to catching up with you as we head towards G-Day. Of course, plenty more from you on the website there, dognation.com there as well. Thanks for being here, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you soon. Appreciate it, B.A. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, we'll roll on here to our SEC Through. And uh, listen, I just think G-Day is going to be a lot of fun. Very interesting to see how all of that goes down. Um, I've told you this before that, you know, part of my, you know, kind of bias related to some of this, and we can bring that music down just a little bit. You know, part of my bias related to, you know, some of the stuff that happens on G-Day is I sort of view it as an offensive event. Sometimes I'm not quite so sure how you can really judge what a defense does because, you know, let's face it, people do want to see the explosive offensive plays. My assumption is the defenses are kind of running what is, you know, probably, you know, fairly basic scheme, although I'm you know, not sure I'd know the difference, you know, one way or another anyway. You're obviously not sacking quarterbacks, things along those lines. But I thought that yesterday uh, Georgia linebacker N'Kobe Dean did give us something to kind of look for. Uh, from that defense on Saturday. We'll talk about that here coming up in just a couple minutes' time. Before that, I want to tell you about my friends at SecondChance.Law, and I think this is a really important thing. And one of the things I love doing on this show is, is you know, I, I truly believe that the companies we have a chance to tell you about on this show are going to benefit, and in some cases it's a specific segment of our audience, but 
I love telling the stories about companies that I think are going to really improve the lives of some of the people in our audience. And I think that secondchance.law is certainly an example of that because there are some new Georgia laws in place that allow, you know, folks who, let's face it, you know, people, you know, have, you know, things happen in their life and, you know, they wish they hadn't happened. You know, you break a law, something along those lines, and it leads to a conviction and you have kind of that dragging around with you forever. Well, not anymore. New laws kind of give you a chance to have certain offenses restricted off your criminal history. And that's what secondchance.law kind of helps with because the process can be kind of confusing a little bit. A lot of things with the law are, but this is what secondchance.law does for you, though. They've kind of turned this into a simple online quiz. When you answer the questions on this quiz, you're able to kind of determine your eligibility for this. And by the way, secondchance.law can also help you get eligible if you're not currently eligible for a situation uh, like this. You already know this. When you get some of this kind of stuff, you know, kind of taken away, better employment opportunities. In some cases, it provides better housing opportunities. Uh, one of the partners here is a double dog. means two-time UGA graduate, former Redcoat, someone who's been listening to Dog Nation Daily since way back when we started back in 2015. So it is my great pleasure to recommend them to you. And I truly believe that better lives for the people who kind of come in contact with this and use this service, obviously that's a no-brainer. So secondchance.law is the website, secondchance.law, and find out how they can help you today. All right, let's roll through our SEC through here for a moment. I want to go back. Near the top of the program, earlier we kind of dealt with where Georgia comes in for the ESPN preseason FPI. And let's face it, for some of you that, that care about analytics and stuff like that, even though I like citing the FPI stuff from time to time, it's always been kind of a bootleg version of what, say, Football Outsiders has done or what Bill Conley used to do prior to when he came on board for ESPN. This was just kind of their... It's almost like the way in which you're in high school and you copied somebody's homework, but they told you, hey, don't make it look too obvious. That's what ESPN FBI has always been. It's sort of a, a copycat version of the other analytic stuff with enough changes to not make it be quite so obvious. You know, it's never been quite as sound as some of the other analytics metrics that are out there. This may be, though, the just the dumbest thing they've ever put out there. So I'll show you this ESPN stats and info tweet of the top 10 preseason FBI for 2021. No surprise near the top. Alabama, obviously, number one. Oklahoma, two. Oklahoma was actually much better defensively a year ago, so them being higher in a you know analytics thing like this, not a huge surprise. Clemson's at three. But then Iowa State at four is a little bit you know of an eye-opener. I think Matt Campbell's a really good coach, and Iowa State was a good team a year ago. But at four, I don't know that many betting people are going to you know certainly bet them at that kind of rate against some of the other teams on this list. And then Ohio State, no surprise, Texas A&M, I've touted them, obviously. Georgia at seven, maybe that makes sense. But where do you get Mississippi State coming in at eighth? <laughs> I mean, that's just the, the – like, I would be embarrassed to even publish this. And I know it's based on metrics and things like that, but um, metrics are only – it's like the old computer phrase about garbage in, garbage out. Your metrics are only as good as the human who's inputting the data. And – if this is what your data spit out, then I would suggest that you need some new computers because uh, obviously that's not what Mississippi State is. By the way, you got Oklahoma State at nine. So you got, according to ESPN's FBI, you got three Big 12 teams in the in the top nine preseason. I think overall that's probably pretty silly. Uh, I'm not quite so sure that many people are buying that one way or another. By the way, Penn State coming in at ten. That's a road game for Auburn in the month of September there. So I guess keep that in mind just a little bit. So a little bit of silliness from the ESPN preseason FBI. I'm not sure I make much of it. It's almost like one of those things that like, you know, the stuff that comes out, hey, here's the, the favorite fast food restaurant in all 50 states. And some of the stuff is just sort of an obvious attempt at trolling. I'm sort of wondering if that top 10 from ESPN is not also kind of just an obvious attempt at trolling there on that couple other things real quick. I think there's some interesting – and by the way, a lot of this stuff we'll talk about more today, this afternoon, 3 p.m., SEC Country Live. Looking forward to doing that with you on the SEC Country Facebook, the SEC Country Live YouTube page. We'll do that 3 p.m. today. A lot of these conversations will continue uh, this afternoon, 3 p.m., for SEC Country Live. Really excited about that. Ed Orgeron's time in his quarterback situation in LSU. So Max Johnson got the first snaps of spring, but since then it's kind of been a little bit of a mixed bag there between, I guess, TJ Finley still involved in this. Obviously, uh, Miles Brennan's kind of back from injury. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, the kind of hot shot incoming freshman. And as it stands right now, I don't think really anybody knows who's getting that job, but as Mike Griffith kind of alluded to, we are in the transfer portal age. I think there's a little bit of thought that for at least a couple of those guys, maybe not Nussmeyer because he just arrived on the scene there, but for a couple of those guys that if you know, they don't win the job, they may be looking to bolt. Maybe Johnson may be one of them, you know, there uh, for sure. 
So a little bit of an interesting quarterback situation for a team. I think a lot of us have said we think could be better for the upcoming season, but unsettled at quarterback right now, and Ed Orgeron not really giving much in the way. Let's go ahead and try to mute that if we can so that uh, doesn't keep beeping. But um, a, a lot in the way of, um, of you know, very, very, you know, not very revealing thus far for Ed Orgeron on that. By the way, similar situation over at Auburn where quarterback talk is taking place. And it's kind of interesting when you're Brian Harson, an offensive-minded head coach, Mike Bowe, the offensive coordinator, and you're not tied to Bo Nix. It seems like Nick, the discussion around Nix by those coaches, is a lot more open and honest than it would have been maybe under the Gus Malzahn age because Malzahn obviously brought Nix in. And, you know, they're challenging Nix right now to make better decisions there. He started a bunch of games. And he's had some nice moments. Obviously, people remember the Oregon game, the first game that he played as an Auburn quarterback, but it hasn't always matched the very best when it comes to sort of the uneven performances there for a Bo Nix. When I look at the situation, though, at Auburn, listen to some of the things that uh, Harson has recently said, as, as I said, kind of challenging his decision-making. I think the worst thing about Bo Nix are the expectations that Malzahn originally set for him. You know, Gus Malzahn, you know, stood in front of microphones, podiums, press conferences, things along those lines, and, you know, said that he believed that Bo Nix was going to be a championship quarterback. I think that Gus did some actually pretty good things at Auburn, and I think maybe was kind of unfairly fired after this past year. But this was an example of something that was probably better left unsaid. Nix because his legacy, because he was a good quarterback there in the state of Alabama as a high school guy, had a lot of expectations anyway. And I think that Gus Malzahn fanned the flames of those expectations even more. It becomes really hard to live up to. I mean, frankly, you know, Nick is not a great quarterback, but he is an established starter, something that not every SEC team has. And I think part of the problem here is, is that Auburn fans get excessively frustrated with Nick because simply – the output on the field has not matched the expectations, expectations that his uh, previous coach certainly contributed to. So interesting to hear the way that Harson and Bobo are talking about uh, Knicks right now and kind of a little bit more, you know, I, I guess dispassionate way compared to the way that Gus Malzahn would have talked about him, someone who actually recruited him and brought him in there to the program. And then finally there's this. So there's a little bit of chatter right now about Kyle Pitts of the NFL draft. I've said before, as a Falcons fan, I don't love the idea of the Falcons taking the former uh, Florida guy at number four, but I'd probably make peace with it because I do think he's that dynamic of a playmaker. But now you've got all this chatter about would teams actually trade up to get him? You know, probably not, you know, the top three. That seems like, you know, all, all kind of quarterback destinations right there. The Falcons, though, at four, a team that could consider not taking a quarterback. Is there a team looking to move that spot, whether it be Miami? You, you've heard, I think, Dallas even rumored with all this kind of stuff. It's just really amazing how Kyle Pitts now probably stands as the most, you know, uh, interesting tight end prospect the NFL drafts ever produced. And I guess I'm kind of curious from the Florida standpoint, there's, you know, this push, and I think this is what they originally sold to Rick Gilbert on. Hey, come here to Florida. You can be the next Kyle Pitts. But when you look at the way the NFL draft is setting up right now, you almost wonder if there's ever going to be another Kyle Pitts, just how unique he's being treated by these NFL draft scouts right now. I'm sure that Dan Mullen in Florida will probably try to sell this. Hey, we're the kind of program that produces Kyle Pitts, but I don't know that, I don't know that what Pitts kind of has going for him as a prospect right now can be duplicated. I've never seen a tight end being discussed the way that he is there right now. I think that's really interesting. We'll make that your SEC through. And you're on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Uh, I want to talk, as I said before, N'Kobe Dean setting the standard for what Georgia's defense is going to do on Saturday. And, you know, sometimes you're kind of left to wonder, well, you know, what do you want to see from a defense? What can they do in a scrimmage like this? And, you know, Dean pretty simply yesterday said, hey, let's just go out there and see, you know, can we be a good tackling defense? It's something that Kirby Smart said that he wanted to see more of from his defense. Said it's hard to practice that because you risk guys getting hurt. But if you don't practice tackling, you can't be a good tackling team. And so if you want to judge the Georgia defense on Saturday, here's as simple as you might want to you know, say it. When there's contact with a ball carrier, receiver, running back, whatever, does that guy go to the ground or does he shake free and get extra yards? That, to me, is a pretty good way to measure the success of the Georgia defense on Saturday during G-Day. And yesterday when he spoke to reporters, N'Kobe Dean went into a little bit more detail about that. We pride ourselves on getting chest to chest and thudding, with, um, thudding anybody with the ball. So, And, and, that's, part, and I, that's part of the, the defensive standard. And it's, it's something that we kind of uphold. And it's like, basically, we don't take, we not, we don't take anything, anything less is not good enough. Uh, so they need to get chest to chest and be able to uh, chest to chest and throw them and be able to stay up. And that's, that's basically the standard at practice. 
to listen, I think that's a great way to think about the Georgia defense on Saturday. You know, do they go chest to chest? Do they knock those guys down? And even if they're not sacking quarterbacks, things like that, judging those tackling skills of those Georgia defensive players on Saturday becomes a way to evaluate that defense along what you're expecting from the offense there as well. So pretty good stuff there from Georgia linebacker N'Kobe Dean. As we wrap up here today, let's do so the way we do our Gator Hater Roll Call, taking a look at some of the funny Gator Haters in our audience. Golden Shoe Award winner going out today. This is a really good one to Brandon Mathis, who, uh, and listen, I think my wife would probably agree that I do come across a little bit Clark Griswoldish from time to time. You see my face there is Clark Griswold being gifted the Golden Shoe. I love Eddie in the background here on top of the Griswold Family Cruiser. Of course, uh, Cousin Eddie himself, uh, Dan Mullen, they're on display there for that there as well. Very funny from uh, Brandon Mathis. Uh, great stuff. Truly a well-deserved Golden Shoe winner for Brandon uh, at Kobe Wan Benobi on Twitter. By the way, we are now inside of 200 days for our Gator Hater Countdown. 199 days from now, we'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. And on the podcast, time now for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cool Down. Try not to go too long because I know sometimes the shows have a tendency to be a little long. So we'll keep this part of it brief. But always remember, you can hit me up on Twitter at DogNationDaily. You can respond to the comment section, DogNation.com. You can have your voice heard during this part of the program here today. All brought to you by our friends at R.S. Andrews. Find them online, RSAndrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Uh, I got an interesting tweet from a buddy, Bank6, on Twitter, who's living he says in southeast New Mexico, and he says as he was leaving a gas station heading to work wearing a gray Georgia football sweatshirt, this random guy sees me and yells, go dogs, with a huge smile on his face. Um, I think that's a really good thing, and it's one of the things that I have grown to love about doing the show. I never quite appreciated this. I've said this a million times before, that my vision for doing this back before I really even knew what streaming video even was, that wasn't a, you know, a huge technology that when we first started this, but... Um, podcasting was something I was a huge fan of. This is going back to like 2015. And I wanted to kind of create that thing that hopefully could be a daily habit for George fans and a chance to kind of build a digital relationship with people, so to speak, in terms of, you know, just, you know, allowing them to have that distraction, working out, driving to work, whatever it is they're doing. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the show has kind of worked out that way. And I, I've been really great before that. One of the things, though, that has become kind of an interesting thing about this show that I never quite appreciated when we first got started was how many people would be in New Mexico or other places. I hear from people in California, you know, all, really all over the country and all over the world. And, you know, this show in many ways, and I don't say this immodestly, I'm I'm uh, incredibly grateful for the chance to, to provide this experience. But this show kind of becomes a way to connect folks who have a tie to Georgia, certainly Georgia football, back with their home state, whatever else, because they're now scattered all across the world. And I just think that's a, an incredibly cool thing, and I'm really proud to be able to do that. So to all of you, no matter where you may be listening, boy, I really appreciate you being a part of what we're doing here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. In fact, I hope you have a great day. I'll look forward to seeing you back here again tomorrow. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing here, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow, everybody.